0: Our scripture reading this morning comes from Psalm 107. This can be found on page 947 in your pew Bibles. Give thanks
1: to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say this, those he redeemed from the hand of the foe, those he gathered from the lands, from east and west, from north and south.
2: Some sat in darkness and the deepest gloom, prisoners suffering in iron chains, for they had rebelled against the words of God and despised the counsel of the Most High. So he subjected them to bitter labor. They stumbled, and there was no one to help.
0: Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he saved them from their distress. He brought them out of darkness and the deepest gloom and broke away their chains. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love and his
1: wonderful deeds for men, for he breaks down gates of bronze and cuts through bars of iron.
2: Some became fools through their rebellious ways and suffered affliction because of their iniquities. They loathed all food and drew near the gates of death.
0: Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and he saved them in their distress. He sent forth his word and healed them. He rescued them from the grave. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his
1: unfailing love and his wonderful deeds for men. Let them sacrifice thank-offerings and tell of his works with songs.
2: Others went out on the sea in ships. They were merchants on the mighty waters. They saw the works of the Lord, his wonderful deeds in the deep, for he spoke and stirred up a tempest and lifted high the waves. They mounted up to the heavens and went down to the depths. In their peril, their courage melted away. They reeled and staggered like drunken men. They were at their wits' end.
0: Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and he brought them out of their distress. He stilled the storm to a whisper. The waves of the sea were hushed. They were glad when it grew calm, and he guided them to their desired haven. Let them give thanks to the Lord
1: for his unfailing love and his wonderful deeds for men. Let them exalt him in the assembly of the people and praise him in the council of the elders. He turned rivers into a desert, flowing springs into thirsty ground, and fruitful land into a salt waste because of the wickedness of those who live there. He turned the desert into pools of water and the parched ground into flowing springs. There he brought the hungry to live, and they founded a city where they could settle. They sowed fields and planted vineyards that yielded a fruitful harvest. He blessed them, and their numbers greatly increased, and he did not let their herds diminish.
2: Then their numbers decreased, and they were humbled by oppression, calamity, and sorrow. He who pours content on nobles made them wander in a trackless waste.
0: But he lifted the needy out of their affliction and increased their families like flocks.
1: The upright see and rejoice, but all the wicked shut their mouths. Whoever is wise, let him heed these things, and consider the great love of the Lord.
2: The word of the Lord.
1: Thanks Thanks be to God.
3: Brothers and sisters in Christ, I don't know if you caught uh, that very last verse, but this psalm ends exactly where we left off last week. It says that the wise will consider, they will observe, they will think on, try to discern and understand, really try to grasp the steadfast love of the Lord. And this psalm is offered to us as a guide to do that, really. A guide to grasp and consider the love of the Lord, the steadfast love of the Lord. Now, for most of this series on prayer, we've talked pretty much exclusively about about individual prayers, prayers that we offer up in, in private. But Psalm 107 puts prayer in a corporate context, okay? It puts it in a congregational context, The context might be worship in the temple, it might be one of the feasts of the high holy days of Israel, but but really this is a call to community prayer. It's a call for the group, for the congregation to give thanks to the Lord, for the congregation to consider the steadfast love of the Lord. This is a call, it's a guide to corporate prayer, okay? Okay. And the Bible has many examples for us of this kind of prayer. It's not such a unique sort of thing, but oftentimes the prayers of God's people are lifted up to the Lord as one voice. And perhaps that's why we find in Psalm 107 this repeated pattern of prayer in the psalm, okay? There are four different groups that pray, but the pattern of each prayer is exactly the same. First, there's a description of trouble. Someone is in trouble. We find out what that trouble is. Second, those people cry out to the Lord in that time of trouble. They ask for help. They pray. Okay? Third, God delivers them from that trouble, and we get a very detailed description of that deliverance in each case. And finally, there's a call to thanks, to give thanks to God for His his, um, his unfailing love, his Hesed, or, or I should say, and also for his wondrous works. So uh, there's a call to give thanks for his steadfast love and his wondrous works that he has done for the sons of men. Now, I find it interesting, again, that this is a, a pattern in the psalm, okay? And it's a pattern that's, that's repeated. And I find that interesting because really this is a pattern for prayer throughout the history of of Israel. You only have to read the book of Judges, right, to find this very same pattern. In the book of Judges, the people find themselves in trouble. They cry out to the Lord for help. God delivers them in very detailed and interesting ways. And then the people give thanks for God's unfailing covenant love. And that's not just in the book of Judges, is it? You find that present throughout the Old Testament and on into the New Testament as well. People find themselves in trouble. Maybe it's slavery in Egypt, or maybe they're facing the wrath of God in the desert because they've worshipped the golden calf, or maybe they found themselves in captivity in Babylon. But over and over and over again, God's people find themselves in trouble And what do they do? They cry out in those situations for the Lord to help. And contained in that cry for help is usually a confession of helplessness and also a confession of sin. We need God to intervene. We need God to save us. We can't do this on our own. Now, Tim Keller sees a little bit more in this pattern, I think. Um, He sees that what we're really talking about here is, is all, also a pattern of revival, okay? It's not just a pattern of prayer, but it's a pattern of revival among God's people. It's a pattern, as I said, we see in the Old Testament, we see in the New Testament, we also see it throughout church history. And, and one element that is always consistent in every revival that has taken place among God's people, at least that's recorded, is this element of, of prayer, this element of crying out to the Lord, not just as individuals, but a corporate cry. It's the cry of the congregation. It's intense, prevailing corporate prayer in response to some immediate form of trouble. Now, <clears throat> within these revivals, Keller says there are three main elements that manifests the work of the holy spirit in that revival and by the way i should just say this he says that that spiritual revival happens when the normal operations of the holy spirit are intensified okay and that's important for us to understand a revival isn't always some extraordinary work of the holy spirit but it's it's rather when the normal operations of the holy spirit are intensified among the church and among God's people. So, so what are those normal operations of the Holy Spirit? Well, we can name a few, right? I'll just name three. One is a conviction of sin, right? It's the Holy Spirit who convicts us of our sin, who makes our sin known to us and then brings us to that place of, of confession. So in a revival, there is a, there is a new and deeper conviction of sin. There's a new sensitivity to, to what we call sin in our lives. So that's, that's one work of the Holy Spirit. Another one is the Spirit gives us access to the presence of God, doesn't He? It's the Spirit who convinces us that we are the children of God and gives us access to the presence of that God. And in, in a time of revival, <clears throat> um, God's being and His love are made palpable to us in incredible ways, okay? Another work of the Holy Spirit, a normal work of the Holy Spirit, is to put the love of Jesus Christ into action, right? Into action among His people as we begin to love each other more deeply and we confess our sins to one another and we forgive each other. All of those things that happen within the community are intensified to the point that they overflow the congregation itself and flow out into the surrounding community, okay? So those are works of the Holy Spirit that in a time of revival are, are intensified. Now, what I'd like to do with you this morning, and I know this gets a little complicated, but I'd like to take those, those three things that we just talked about and sort of overlay them on Psalm 107, And then ask the question, you know, could thinking on, considering, trying to grapple with, trying to grasp and understand the steadfast love of the Lord, his chesed, could that somehow actually lead to these elements of revival among us? All right? In order to do that, where we have to begin is actually simply talk about what is this steadfast love of the Lord? What is this thing we call chesed? Chesed is actually the, the Hebrew word you have to put a little ch at the beginning of it, right? Chesed, that's, uh, that's what it is. And it's, it's, it tends to be, or the Bible says it's really one of God's central characteristics, okay? If you want to describe God, you can describe Him by using that word chesed. It's a word that appears 150 times, or excuse me, it it appears 127 times in the 150 psalms, right? So it's used a lot. The psalm that we're looking at this morning, it comes up six six times in all. And it's translated in a number of different ways. Um, Depending on the translation of the Bible you're looking at or reading, it's translated um, God's steadfast love. His loving kindness, His unfailing love. The NIV tends to use enduring love, although it ends with uh, our psalm talks about God's great love in the last verse. But in brief, the word chesed is sort of the Old Testament word for God's grace. Okay? It's this idea that God is predisposed to forgive. All right? Um, You've heard of of people with good dispositions and bad dispositions, right? Angry dispositions. God has a gracious disposition. That's what chesed means. It means that he would rather forgive us. He would rather show us mercy than wrath. He would rather save us than condemn us. That's God's default mode. And God's chesed really gets manifested In the New Testament or works itself out in gospel love it's that enduring assurance okay that because of Jesus work for us on the cross God is favorably disposed to us Jesus has paid the price he has paid the punishment for our sin and therefore God looks at us as he looks at Jesus himself as his very own righteous children we have this assurance that we are now in God's favor, okay? And that's what the psalmist wants us to spend time considering and grappling with and trying to understand, this idea that we are in God's favor and that cannot be changed, okay? So let's, let's try and look at this psalm now, or in the light of what this hesed is, Let's look at these three aspects of the work of the Holy Spirit in a revival. Can our view of Hesed, our understanding of Hesed, lead to those workings of the Holy Spirit? And I think that's what we find in Psalm 107. So, first, let's think about this new and deeper conviction of sin. Okay? The Holy Spirit gives us a new and deeper conviction of sin in a time of revival. Can Hesed lead us to that? It's a tough question because we don't always think we're in trouble. There are four instances in this psalm where we see people who are in trouble and they recognize that and they call out for help. But friends, the truth is that admitting that we are in trouble and crying out for help is not a natural thing for us. It's one of the hardest things to do. Even to cry out to God requires grace. Confession of sin requires very honest self-examination. It's raw, okay? We have to be willing to expose ourselves. Adam and Eve had to be willing to take the leaves off of themselves, okay? In Exodus 33, after, uh, after their sin with the golden calf, you, re- you recall that God's people gathered together uh, with Moses and they repented of their sins. But one of the things you read there is that they took off their ornaments. They took off all of their jewelry. In other words, they laid themselves before God completely exposed and said, this is who we are. There's nothing beautiful about us, Lord that takes grace to do that it takes the assurance that if i make myself vulnerable i won't be destroyed okay think of a dating relationship how often are you completely honest and vulnerable with one another it's very very difficult right because you don't know how that other person's going to react if we're going to make ourselves vulnerable with god we have to have this assurance that only Hesed can give us, okay? It's, It's the gospel love that we have in Jesus Christ that assures us that we are right with God. That actually allows us to expose our souls to Him. Now, if you think about these four situations of trouble in this psalm, Two of them, the middle two, are actually brought on by the sins of the people themselves. Okay, They have sinned, and the trouble that they're going through is the punishment from God. The other two situations, the first and last, the cause of the trouble isn't stated. Okay, We don't know what brought that situation on. And, and isn't that usually the case in life? I mean, sometimes we know that the trouble we're going through is our own it's our own problem right we did it to ourselves it's our own fault but other times you're going through trouble you don't know where it came from you don't know if you're responsible for it if somebody else is there's probably a mixture of both somehow consider this a moment there are basically two types of sin two broad categories of sin the first kind of sin is the sin of unrighteousness right that's when We rebel against the Lord. We do something that he tells us plainly not to do. But in order to truly repent of those kinds of sins, we need an understanding of grace. We need to understand the gospel. We need to understand that I can trust that if I confess my sin to this God, he will actually forgive me. If I'm going to go to the very God who brought the trouble on me in the first place and ask Him for help, I have to know that He's he's going to respond with forgiveness and with love. That's what an understanding of chesed can lead us to. It's only when we have that heightened understanding of God's chesed Based in jesus christ that we will actually repent of our sins and look for help in that case from our trouble so that's the sin of unrighteousness okay but there's also another category of sin that we would call the category of self-righteousness and that's where we basically don't think we need a savior right we don't lean on the cross of jesus christ because we have other things that we feel redeem us right our own good works maybe it's our orthodox theology maybe it's just our self-sufficiency in life i've always made it i've always done well i really don't need a lot of help we lean on those things our own self-righteousness rather than the cross of jesus christ and one of the problems friends if that's our sin is that it can't account for trouble in life that comes our way. You see, this is the idea, the sin of self-righteousness, is the idea that God loves me because I'm doing everything right. Okay, God favors me because I've been living a good life. I've pleased him somehow. But if I'm doing everything right, then how could there be trouble? Okay? It's not like God would do it to me because... I've done right. And God responds well to people who have done right. So how could I end up in a desert wasteland? And we don't know how to answer that question. And what we do instead is we deny that we're even in trouble. You see, if we can't fix it ourselves, if I can't fix it myself, then it must not be there. And so we refuse to acknowledge the truth of the situation. But when we understand God's chesed again, his favor toward us, his love toward us, it'll actually allow us to be honest about our self-righteousness. It'll give us a confidence in Christ that we never had before. It'll give us security in life that we never had before, enough security that we can actually name the trouble that's out there and call to God to help us. That's a big step. Why is this so important? Why should we think on God's Hesed to that point that it will even allow us to name the troubles out there and call on him for help? Well, friends, think about it. There's a lot of trouble that's impacting the church today. In the last couple of years, there's been a lot of trouble. How often have you gotten together with a group of people and named that trouble and called out to the Lord for help? How often has that happened? Think about the kinds of trouble that we face today that we may not even confess or name. We don't know the depths of how social media is affecting us, affecting our children. And even if we did, we don't seem to know what to do about it. Is that a trouble that we name? Is that a trouble that we gather together and pray about and cry out to the Lord? The church around the world is confused and split over its views of human sexuality. And we don't know how to heal ourselves. We just keep splitting and keep arguing. But do we get together as God's people and cry out to the Lord and name the problem and say, Lord, help us, save us? The church in North America seems to have lost the ability to talk through issues like politics and pandemics from a kingdom perspective, to have loving conversations with one another. Do you know that pastors around this country are quitting their jobs in groves? They can't take it anymore. People are leaving churches that they've been a part of their entire lives, But do we name the trouble? Do we gather together? Do we cry out to the Lord? Friends, there is real trouble facing the church, and we need to cry out to the Holy Spirit that He would give us a fresh understanding of of God's gospel love in Jesus Christ, of God's chesed, that we are in God's favor so that we can actually ask the Holy Spirit to humble us to the point that we can confess our sins. We can share our sins with one another without worry that we're going to be condemned forever. And then we can work through those things. We need God to lift us up out of the trouble, but first we have to cry out. So that's that's one reason to meditate on god's chesed for a deeper understanding of our sin there's a, a second reason as well and that's <clears throat> because we need god's chesed to give us a deeper understanding or a deeper sense of god's presence among us his real presence right here okay and again Let's let's think of these four situations of trouble that are presented in this psalm. Okay, there are four different groups of people experiencing four different troubles, and yet each of them cries out to the same Lord. Okay, now I'm leaning on on Tim Keller a bit more than I like to here, but um, I think he's cut some neat insights into this psalm. Um, So there's one group that's wandering in the desert, the first group, right? They're wandering in the desert. They're looking for a straight path home. They cannot find one. They're looking for a city. Um, What they're praying for here is is a shepherd. They're praying to find the love of a shepherd, someone to lead them, someone to lead them home, provide for their physical needs, someone to bring them home. The second group is in prison, right? They're in darkness, they're behind bars, they're in chains. What are they looking for? They're looking for the love of a liberator, right? Someone to free them, someone to come to their aid. They're looking for a general, they're looking for a king. Someone with real strength and authority. The third group is sick and dying, and it's due to their own foolishness. In other words, they've done this to themselves. That's that's their situation. Maybe they've overindulged. Maybe they're addicted. But they've gotten too much of a good thing. Too much of a good thing. They've been warned, but they didn't stop. And they're looking for what? Looking for a healer. Someone to heal them. But notice verse 20. It says he healed them with his word. He sent them his word. And so the healer in this case is a counselor. It's a counselor. It's someone, someone to convict them and advise them and offer them a new beginning, all with words. And then there's a fourth group. The fourth group in trouble is, is a group of sailors. They're out on the water doing sailor things, you know, pursuing their livelihood um, on waters that can quickly become deadly. And if you think about that, that's probably the case for a lot of us and a lot of our livelihoods, whether you're in advertising or investing or any other profession where the waters around you, the forces at work are larger than you. They can quickly overwhelm you, can't they? So these are sailors, and what they need is a God who is all-powerful, a God who can still the storm, but a God who's also a friend. So you have these these four different needs, right? And, and you have really these four different pictures of God that saves. And yet when you look at the text, it says, they cried out to the Lord and he delivered them from their distress. Whether they needed a king or a shepherd, they cried out to the Lord and he delivered them. Always the same God. Four unique kinds of love, yet one God delivers them all. Um, this is where, uh, like Keller, he, he talks about the fact that God is complex. And, and he means that God is complex in a literary sense. You know how you have um, novels and you have complex characters and then you have very simple characters. Um, you have one-dimensional characters, right? Think of all the Star Wars movies that you've ever seen, if you've ever seen them. Um, remember all the stormtroopers of the Empire? There must be like a million of them, and almost a million of them get killed, right? And when was the last time you ever felt bad for one of them? Never because they're just stormtroopers, right? They're they're one-dimensional characters. You don't know anything about them. You don't know their story, you don't know their name, you don't know any, they're cartoon characters, right? And so you don't feel anything for them. But then you have complex characters, multi-dimensional characters. That's God. God is not one-dimensional. But that's what we often reduce him to, isn't it? We say, well, my God is a counselor and, and He always comes to me with, with, with the right words at the right time. Or we say, well, my God is a king, right? And He's authoritative and, and He says, you do this and you do it right otherwise you're going to end up in the dungeon. But how often do we have a full, multi-dimensional picture of God? How often do we see Him as shepherd and king and Redeemer, and Counselor. All of those things at once. You see, that's what we're praying for when we ask God to show us the Hesed of our God, to show us the multi-dimensional love of our God, and to show us a God who's not one-dimensional, but a God who is complex in so many ways, a God who's real. And that's the work of the Holy Spirit, right? To make that God's presence alive among us. That's what Moses prayed for in the desert. He said, God, show me your glory. Not just me, show these people your glory. Let us know that you are here among us and alive and you are leading us. We cannot go forward, we cannot go on unless we know you are present. And the psalmist is saying, when you consider God's chesed, God's love, God becomes alive among you. You begin to recognize His true presence, His true glory here. And that's what you should be praying for corporately is a picture of God's glory, the fact that He's here among us right here and now. Lastly, okay, in a revival of the Spirit, Puts the love of Jesus into action in very real ways, okay? In a way that it becomes palpable and real, and then it begins to overflow to the surrounding community. All right? This happens in the book of Acts all the time. Remember on Pentecost, right? They prayed, the Holy Spirit showed up among them, and all of a sudden everyone could understand the gospel in their own language, God's wondrous works. And then there was Cornelius in Acts 11. Right? They prayed, and the Holy Spirit filled them, and then what happened? All of a sudden, the Word or the Holy Spirit fell on the Gentiles. The Gentiles were included in the gospel, and the church began to look different. It began to look different. Notice with me, in these four groups, they give thanks for God's rescue, for His steadfast love, but then in each case also, they give thanks for His wondrous works. For the wondrous works of the Lord, for his saving actions among his people. And those actions are things that people can see. They answer the prayer. They're manifest. They're real. They're among us. They change things. Verse 9 summarizes the wondrous works. Right? He fills the hungry with good things. If you still have your Bibles open, verse 16. His wondrous works. He shatters the bars of iron. In other words, he sets the prisoner free. In verse 33 and beyond, we get an extended version of God's wondrous works. It's like the psalmist just flows now, goes off on a riff about God's wondrous works. Verse 33, he turns rivers into a desert. Verse 35, he turns a desert into pools of water. Verse 40, he pours contempt on princes. Verse 41, but he raises up the needy out of affliction. Right? He brings some down, he lifts others up. And this sounds so much like who? Jesus. The first shall be last. The last shall be first. The poor shall be rich. The rich shall be poor. Those are kingdom words. Where we lack in faith is we don't think they're real words. We don't think they're ever going to manifest themselves Palpably among us. Again, God is complex, isn't He? He turns deserts into pools, but He also turns pools into deserts. His kingdom affects different people in different ways. And sometimes I think you and I are afraid of that. We're intimidated by that. We're suspicious of a God like that. How do I know He's not going to do that to me? How do I know He's going to turn my desert into pools and not my pools into a desert? It seems much safer to believe in a God who leaves salvation in my hands, right? That if I do A, then God will do B. If I behave myself, then God will turn my desert into pools. That's the kind of God that I can count on. But that's not our God. That's a one-dimensional God. Our God says something more like this. You know, once there was a vineyard. And the owner of the vineyard wanted to harvest his crop. So he hired some people early in the morning and then he hired some more mid-morning and he hired some more at noon and on through the day. And when it came to the end of the day and it was time to pay, he paid them all the very same amount. That's not a one-dimensional God. That's a generous God. That's a God who's tilted In the direction of mercy and forgiveness and love. There's part of us that wants to object to God's generosity. It's not fair, we say. We want God to be fair. And we don't see. His wonderful works as being all that wonderful so the psalmist says just meditate on God's chesed for a while trust trust in his love that you can count on his love that he will not take his love from you just because he spends or spreads his generosity on someone else does not mean he's gonna take anything away from you Give thanks for His love. And pray that others will experience His love around you. And friends, when we begin to understand that love and we begin to see His kingdom realities taking root among us, those things begin to flow into the community. When we begin to love each other and trust each other so much, actually, we enjoy going out into the community a little bit more, meeting our neighbors, sharing the gospel. We've got something good to share, don't we? And friends, understanding God's Hesed allows us to pray specifically that we might see God's wonderful works among us, his kingdom works, that we might see those general truths about you know, the poor becoming rich and the last becoming first, that we might actually begin to see those working out among us. Because they will come true. But do we pray for those as a corporate body? Our prayers should be, should be becoming more and more specific. Where we begin to pray for all sorts of things, right? We pray for the homeless. And we pray for single-parent families. And we pray for prisoners. And we pray for the university community. And we pray for those caught in the sex industry. And we pray for the arts community. And we pray for the elderly in, in nursing homes. And we pray for teenagers alone in their rooms. And we pray for 53206. And we pray for these communities that we want to see experience the working of the Spirit among them, God's wondrous works becoming alive and real. Friends, if we meditate on God's grace and God's chesed and pray for that deeper understanding of His chesed among us, these things will begin to happen. The work of the Spirit intensified among us. Let's bow in prayer together now. Lord Jesus, the psalmist tells us this has happened before. It can happen again. It all begins with an understanding of a love that allows us to call out for help. And then we see the wonderful works of the Lord among us and beyond. And so, Lord, give us, we pray, give us that understanding of your love that we may know you among us, that we may see your glory, that we may confess our sins. And Lord, that you may do your wondrous works in this world. This is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.